0: You're listening to just one of the guys, and even with Martian Manhunter being front and center in this book, there is no chance that Diablo Frank is going to listen to this. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. Guy Gardner is in one of our books today, which always makes me happy, and it always makes me happy that the book is being written by Bo Smith. Well, not the entirety of the book, because it is Showcase 96, and if you didn't know from last episode, or you didn't know at all, the Showcase books were essentially, uh, books where people who couldn't really get their own title would have a chance to have, oh, their own little stories. When the books came back in the 90s, essentially the first time that they came out, they had uh, the ancillary characters from the Bat books starting out in the Showcase, I think, 93 and 94, and then when it moved into 95 and 96, the uh, series took on the characters from the Superman universe. So... Guy Gardner, technically not a member of the Superman universe, but Steel is, and it's essentially a big knockdown, dragout brawl between Steel and Guy Gardner and Joe Gardner and Sledge. It's a bunch of punching and fighting, Bo Smith awesomeness. Plus, we also have the obligatory Green Lantern comic, where Green Lantern teams up with one of his fellow Justice League associates, the Martian Manhunter, and. Yes, sadly, uh, Diablo Frank wasn't able to be on the show, probably because he could give a rat's ass about talking about Green Lantern, even though it is covering Martian Manhunter. Plus, we also get a cameo from Access, the uh, cross-dimensional character who brought us the uh, Marvel vs. DC and Malcolm Universe. I don't even know why he's here. Plus, we get some really nice artwork by Tom Greinberg drawing Jade and no unfortunately we don't have boob windows but uh she is very attractive but we'll be getting this storyline as well as your emails and letters and a few promos which i'll be playing right after i get done rambling on about this so after the promos we get to emails then we'll get to our coverage of green lantern number 87 so stay tuned everyone
1: Red alert, all hands to battle stations, engage.
2: Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he?
0: Interesting, no redeeming qualities.
3: I think you should be destroyed.
2: The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most
1: certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, or then destroy you.
2: We are dangerous.
1: What can I offer except myself?
3: One minute to auto
1: destruct. No! Two. Ah! Shut up, Wesley.
0: We're through running from these bastards. Perhaps today is a good day to die.
2: Join the two true freaks, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell, for Star Trek Monthly Monday. Every month, the freaks will bring you two episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation and more. Episodes of Star Trek Monthly Monday can be found for free at twotruefreaks.com. They can also be downloaded for free from iTunes.
1: Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to, from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death-and-return Superman stories.
2: Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World.
1: The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis.
2: Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey.
1: Worlds Collide.
2: Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again.
1: And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well.
2: Well, most of them, anyway. Yeah, yeah,
1: some of those really... Did suck, don't they? But
2: From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before.
1: You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
2: And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com, slash, From to Crisis, a Superman podcast.com. Is it .com on there? No, 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 it's not. No no.com, forget that.
1: <laughs> so from Crisis to Crisis is back, folks, and better than ever.
2: Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you shut up.
1: No, you shut up.
2: No, you shut up. No, you shut up. No, you shut up. No, you
1: shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time, every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and
0: www.fortressofbailytude.com And we're back. And what you just heard there was a promo, a new one for From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast hosted by Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor. They've been on a little hiatus because of, well, personal problems and moving and things like that, But they're going to be back. In fact, by the time this uh, is released, they will probably have had at least an episode or two out. And they're going to be diving headlong into the 1990s, well, 1994 specifically, issues of Superman. So if you haven't checked out From Crisis to Crisis, I don't know why, it is probably the premier Superman podcast out there. Definitely go check it out, and I'm glad to have it back. But we're going to go check out right now the email bag to see what kind of letters have been written in to this show.
1: You've got mail. Pattern baldness.
0: (laughs) And our first letter this time out comes from my good friend, Mr. Scott Davis from the Great White North up in Canada, which, of course, is the Great White North. And it's entitled Green Lantern number 78 through 82, Final Night and Guy Gardner Annuals 1 and 2. Scott says, Hi, Sean. It's starting to get cold up here in the True North, strong and free, and I realized I haven't emailed you for a while. I had some comments on some of the recent issues that I'd like to pass along your way. Greenlander number seventy-eight, I'm really surprised that Kyle and Donna are getting back together. I didn't think Mars would go there again. I wonder who they're going to. I wonder how they're going to break up next time. Well, you'll be finding out here in a couple of issues. I can let you know that. Good issue, though, he says about 78. I think Kyle's bathing suit looks a little bit more like a diaper than a suit. Oh, God. The Speedo. I completely forgot about that. Ugh. Ugh. I guess Banks didn't want to go full Speedo for us. Thank goodness. Greenlander number 79. Another good issue with Sonar and Sledge, but I'm surprised that they brought back Sonar for this one issue. I guess he was a popular villain in the 90s and the fans demanded him back? Question mark. Yes, definitely question mark. I can't imagine the uh, clamoring for Sonar to be back as a hero was really driving uh, DC to want to put him back in the books. Are we going to see a future future Kyle Sledge team-up? Probably not. I think Sledge next appeared. Well, obviously he appears in the issue of Showcase, but I'm not certain when he appears next. He might be... I know Bo Smith said that he was in Secret Six or... Yeah, maybe Secret Six or Suicide Squad with uh, Gail Simone writing, so I don't really know. Guy Gardner Warrior Annual Number One. Wow, this was really hard to follow because there was so much detail in the artwork. I think the colorist, Scott Bowman, had no idea how to color Flint Henry's pencils. I'll give you that. I've seen some other work by Flint and Henry, and it looks a lot better. In fact, uh, next week we're going to be covering a Green Lantern Quarterly book, and Flint and Henry pencils in there, and his pencils look a lot better with uh, a different ink or a different color so maybe it was the coloring for that book so it could have been Scott continues the story was decent but you're right the art just takes me completely out of it this was definitely the most depressing ending you've ever had in your 78 episodes to date you sounded so bummed out well I was because it was a good story but the artwork was just so muddy and difficult to look at that it just It made it unenjoyable, and you don't want to be doing a show where you're trying to champion comics and have to deal with one that just looks awful. But there you are. Continue one, he goes, Guy to Warrior Annual. Number two, this was an awesome issue. I really enjoyed all three stories in it. Mitch Bird's story and art is amazing. It was a nice end to the Warrior series, and the last panel of Guy smiling to the reader was really nice. He was only a missile, missing a bottle of Australian wombat lager in his hand as he gazed off into the sunset. Yep, a uh, nice old the bottle of beer would probably have probably made it a little bit better, but maybe they just couldn't get it in there for product placement. Maybe uh, licensing rights went up between uh, the Australians and D.C. Final night, uh, Scott continues. The story arc was well done, and I enjoyed the whole thing. Green Lantern 80 was a very dark issue. I found it funny that Donna has pictures of herself all across her wall, which makes her look very conceited. Hmm, I don't remember that. It's the last day on Earth, so why wouldn't Kyle give Donna a lift to see her son for the last time? Eh, maybe Kyle has just had his mind elsewhere. What an a-hole he is to make her take a local transit when time is of the essence. Final Night issues 1 through 4 were all excellent, and the Parallax issue was a fantastic send-off to Hal. Always wondered how Hal ended up in the sun, and now I know. Green Lantern in 81 was a great funeral issue, and I can't believe that Batman is the only superhero that had an issue with Hal going out as a hero. What about all the people Hal murdered, like Kilowog and the other GL deaths? i agree with Batman on this one. I found it funny that none of Hal's ex-girlfriends made it to the funeral. I guess Daryl Banks would have had a t- tough time drawing all of men. Yeah, I don't think it would have been all that good if Carrie Limbo and, oh, Ann Coulter, oh, Uh, olivia reynolds was there and it probably just would have been a horrible cat fight and you don't want to have that at a funeral at all greenlander number 82 uh, scott says this was a fun issue about kyle babysitting donna's kid and it was a nice fun break from the dark issues preceding us despite what thomas dj thinks i think just one of the guys audience loves hearing him on the show keep up the great work guys well, Tom will be great, and we'll be glad to hear that. And, uh, in fact, you'll be hearing Tom on the next episode, as we're going to be covering Green Lantern Quarterly Number 1, which features one of his favorite Green Lanterns. So Tom will definitely be back on the show again. He is always a great addition to the show. Finally, he says, Your interview with Bo Smith was absolutely fantastic. Great job scoring an interview with him, and he seems like a really nice guy. I just heard Michael Bradley's email to you in episode 83, and he sums up your interview perfectly. I'm having a hard hard time finding out if my Canadian iTunes review will get you any more Canadian listeners. I guess time will tell. Maybe if a Canadian is listening, they can email in. We get quite busy in October up here because it's the start of hockey season, so I wouldn't count on it. Well, I understand hockey is far more important than listening to this silly podcast. Anyway, Scott finishes up with thanks, Sean. Scott. Well, thank you, Scott, for writing in. It's always great to hear from you, and I'm glad you're still reading along and enjoying the issues. But that does it for emails for this episode. I'd like to thank Scott for writing in. I'd like to thank everyone for writing in. I got a couple of other emails, but they're for another show that I'll do, so I'll be saving them for the next time I record. But since the email bag is now closed up, we're going to go ahead and open up our copy of Green Lantern number 87. Green Lantern 87 was cover dated June 1997 and released on April 9, 1997. Mike's Amazing World of Comics gives us this information. Cover price was $1.75 U.S. and $2.50 Canada. Title was The Last of Their Kind. Writer was Ron Mars. Guest penciler this time out was Tom Greinberg. Inker Romeo Tangal. Colorist Noelle Giddings. Letterer Chris Eliopoulos. Associate Editor Eddie Brick And Editor Kevin Dooley. Our story opens with the cross-dimensional character Axis jumping right in the middle of the photo shoot for delicious, delicious Raydu's brand coffee, being staged by Jenny Lynn Hayden, better known as the superheroine Jade, at her roommate, soon-to-be boyfriend Kyle Rayner's apartment. Access mentions that he was looking for a green lantern, but found a similar power source residing in Jade. Jenny creates a baseball bat and cites dur as to the traveler's lack of knowledge about mystical green energies... But since access needed to find green lantern proper he pops off for wherever he came from leaving confused jade wondering if she should have told him where kyle actually was meanwhile where kyle actually is he and the attending members of the newly branded justice league settle on making wonder woman a true member of the justice league and not just the chick who takes notes and gets men their delicious delicious coffee kyle is still pretty much in awe of the company that he now keeps Marveling over Electric Blue Superman, still Diana Wonder Woman, Never Present, I Know Friggin Everything, Batman, Shirtless Hokan, Glam Metal Aquaman, Shiny Speed Force Suit Flash, and the Martian Manor. Yeah, he didn't change too much in the 90s. Wally tries to snap Kyle out of his geek gawk fest by asking him if he'd like to go out to get dinner, but Kyle replies that he's stuck with John doing monitor duty, and he'll take him up on it another time. As while he teleports back to Earth, Kyle heads to the monitor room to meet up with a manhunter. Landing by his side at the console, Kyle starts up the most awkward conversation one could possibly have with the last of an alien race. But the discomfort is broken up by a proximity alarm signaling a ship exiting warp near the Earth's moon. The watch watches the immense ship fires a terraforming beam at Southern California, right where Kyle's mom lives. The duo head out to engage the vessel, with Kyle eventually breaking through the ship's hull. Geo makes it to the bridge and finds the desiccated corpse of an alien who is controlling the ship. Martian Manhunter follows up behind him and telepathically scans the ship to try and determine what its purpose was. The mind meld reveals that the alien was the last of his kind, and all the genetic material of his race was stored in the ship, which was set out to find a suitable planet to terraform and rebuild the alien species. John says they can't stop the program from being carried out, but Kyle has a solution that can save both Earth and the long dead race. Sometime later, we see Kyle and John marveling as the ship replaces vegetation on this new planet with a once stored from its database. John praises Kyle for finding a viable alternative for the ship to terraform, and Kyle says that he thank- that the thanks should go to John Stewart, who told Kyle about the former Green Lantern Mogo, who will now be home to this reborn race prices averted, Cal and John head home, knowing that the last of their kind could do something to help the first of a new kind. nice to see Kyle starting to fit in the larger DC universe in this book. Yes, in the Morrison JLA book, he was a big part of the DC universe, but in his solo title, you never got the sense that he's one of the big guns, except for infrequent guest appearances with the Flash and Green Arrow. Plus, it's really nice to have a story with Martian Manhunter in it as well, because so often in comic bookdom, he seems to get overlooked in the pantheon of DC heroes. He's really incredibly important, and when Superman wasn't around, the Martian Manhunter was the big gun in the DC Universe. Um, I really wish Diablo Frank could have been here to talk about this, but uh, unfortunately I don't know him, and he probably didn't even know about this podcast. And But he's made numerous defenses in trying to sh- tell people how great the Martian Manhunter is. And he's a really interesting character, and sadly kind of underused here. But getting into notes, we'll start with the cover, and the cover is just, uh eh, it's kind of a meh cover, with the only real thing sort of standing out to me being the kind of almost Jack Kirby-esque photo collage of the Earth in the background. Grindberg does a ju- good job of drawing Kyle and uh, the Martian Manhunter looking up at the strange alien ship flying overhead, but it's really not all that interesting, and it's just kind of bland, unfortunately. I do think it may be kind of evocative of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where you're seeing the characters look up at the giant alien craft hovering overhead, but other than that, kind of a meh cover. Moving into the book, page one. Here's access. For whatever reason. I guess the actual reason was he was looking for Green Lantern to help out with a crossover, but eventually had to go seek out Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe. If you didn't know, Access is a character that was created in the DC versus Marvel crossover, who was sort of the caretaker between the dimensions of the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe. And he has kind of an interesting history. He isn't really used all that much because, well, DC and Marvel really aren't into doing crossovers, but he had some interesting ties. One of the neat things that I found out about him is that supposedly in one of the retcons uh, in the crossover between DC and Marvel, It was Galactus that was responsible for the destruction of Krypton, and that led the uh, Fantastic Four into having to deal with Superman, so that was kind of interesting, but uh, his appearance here is just really out of the ordinary and doesn't really play into the story at all. Page three, and after just a bit of him popping in, he's gone, and it's one of those things where it's like, why did this even happen? It was... Really one of the oddest cameos I've ever seen in this book, or practically any book. However, on page three, I will have to admit that Grindborg does a really nice job of drawing Jade. Uh, she's incredibly hot here, even without the boob window. Page five, as I kind of mentioned in my synopsis, there were some radical changes going on with the heroes. um I don't know if this was where Hippolyta had taken over as Wonder Woman. I don't think it is. I think this is still Diana. But eventually, Hippolyta would take over for uh, Wonder Woman for a while. We've got Superman in his very 90s electric blue uh, energy containment uniform. Batman isn't present. That's because Batman is the omniscient or omnipotent, almost godlike character who... Plans everything out and knows exactly what's ever what's going on with everyone at every time and yeah I, I never liked that version of the Batman. We've got long-haired, bearded, hook hand Aquaman and uh, the Wally West eyeless Speed Force suit Flash. The only character who hasn't really gone through a major redesign is the Martian Manhunter, and I don't know whether that was just that they felt the character was so classic that they didn't feel a need to redesign him or whether or not they just didn't know anything new to do with him so you make your decision on that point page six i'm i'm glad that we're finally starting to see wally and kyle starting to get along i mean wally even asked kyle if they want to go get dinner with him and every once in a while it's nice to see the mundane side of the heroes lives we don't always need to see them fighting giant battles. It's kind of nice to see them go out and have dinner, or maybe go have a cup of delicious, delicious coffee. Ray Doof's coffee. Page eight, we've got some really effective use of the six panel grid here. That's essentially a static shot of John standing at the monitor, which is kind of weird because it's more of a podium than the monitor. I don't know why it wouldn't be seated, but whatever. But uh, it's it's great because Kyle just asked the most awkward question of John. It's like, so, uh, you're a Martian? And, of course, John replies, uh, you know, I believe we're we're both aware of my heritage. And Kyle's like, right, right. I love the fact that that Mars is able to capture in the writing Kyle's awkwardness around this person that, he really can't relate to and that Greinberg is also able to capture the awkwardness in the art Uh, just him looking around If, if Kyle had pockets on there his hands would be in his pockets and he's they're really doing a good job of showing the discomfort of the character at this point in time pages 10 and 11 we get a decent two page splash with the JLA headquarters on the moon being dwarfed by this immense alien ship uh, and surprisingly the ship is colored yellow so maybe the ship had encountered Green Lanterns before and thought as a defensive measure against them to paint it yellow but the ship's uh an interesting design if you kind of think of the Nostromo from the first alien movie you'll get an idea of what it is but yes it is definitely depicted to be pretty big and it's a it's a nice shot. There's some good artwork here, and the the background image of the Earth is is pretty nice. And I think one of the nice little details, if you look on the page 11 at the uh, sort of in the bottom, well, in the bottom part of the art, you can see the actual sun in the background, and it, it's kind of dwarfed and orange there. So it's nice that they put that detail of the nearest star to the planet actually in the image. So I kind of enjoyed that. Page 12 is the terraforming Ray is determined to be firing at Southern California. Not only is Kyle worried that it might kill his mother, but he's also worried that it might halt production on home improvement, and he just can't get enough of Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Seriously, he's just so dreamy. Page 14, and we get an interesting construct that Kyle rings up to fight this alien ship. It's a pirate ship in space, which is kind of neat, but I think it was just a reason for Kyle to ring up a very chesty, very um top-heavy uh pirate wench. Yeah, let's just go with top-heavy. You know what I'm saying. Page 15, we get that John really can't let this go. I mean, one Green Lantern lets a single planet die, and you hold a grudge against all the Green Lanterns for the rest of time. Get over it, John. It was a mistake, cause John here tells Kyle, Don't mess up, because last time I dealt with a Green Lantern, he let a planet die. Man, Martians hold grudges. We would head to page 18 as Kyle enters the ship and finds the uh, dead alien there in the uh, command chair. The alien does look kind of Martian. It, It's not really an original looking thing. He's much larger and has uh, longer spindly legs. Uh, His head is sort of elongated, like uh, the original look of the Martian Manhunter, but it doesn't have that pointy look to it. So, not the most original alien in the book, but uh, what can you do? Pages 21 to 22. I like the fact that the final solution to the terraforming ship was to convince the ship to terraform a different planet, but I'm not certain if making Mogo the planet to terraform was a good choice. I don't know whether or not this story sticks, whether or not this is still in continuity, or whether it's just a story that will be swept under the rug, and eventually Mogo will have nothing to do with these this new race of aliens being formed on him. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't read anything in the uh, Jeff Johns series of books, which had Mogo as a major player in it, so I don't know if this ever pans out in that storyline. But that finishes notes. Uh, One thing that I want to look at, well, I want to look at a couple of things, but the past couple of issues I haven't looked at ads, and since the second book is kind of, well, we've already looked at the ads, we're going to take a look at some of the ads in here, see what they've got to sell for us. Starting on the inside front cover, they've got Warriors of Virtue, which I guess is a sword and sorcery film starring... Angus McFadden, who I guess was Robert the Bruce in Braveheart. Uh, It looks like a kind of goofy, mystical, time travel, sword and sorcery eyeball movie. I don't know. Never seen it. Checked it out on IMDb. Had a 4.2 rating, so probably won't go see it. Next, we get a house ad for Young Heroes in Love, and uh, there's the characters on here uh, basically sitting on a sofa, and there's a uh, caption saying, Thunderhead loves Bonfire, Bonfire loves Frostbite, Hard Drive loves Monster Girl, Frostbite loves Bonfire, Monster Girl loves Monster Girl, whatever, Junior loves Zipkid, Zipkid loves Hard Drive, and you don't want to know what Off-Ramp loves. I've heard good things about Young Heroes in Love. I never read the story, and the art look, looks look nice. I guess it's by Dev Madden and Keith Champagne. But I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that these are unknown characters. I just really could care less about them. Then a few pages in, we get a sort of iconic what maquette of Catwoman. I think it's a, a statue of uh, issue one of Catwoman. Uh, based on the designs by Jim Ballant so you know that there's boobs and butts aplenty plenty is catwoman is in her tight purple suit with the whip and there's cats around and she's in a very uh slutty pose yeah let's give it that so uh for you could reserve yours for 195 US or 295 Canada man screwing over Canada big time but yeah if you Want a statue of Super Hot Catwoman? Here she is. Then, in the uh, middle of the comic, there's a two page splash advertisement for Tang. No, not that kind of Tang. The orange drink. And for some reason, Alfred E. Newman and Mad Magazine have teamed up with Tang, and if you send in a proof of purchase of Tang label, label Tang, Tang label. You can get a free issue of Mad Magazine, and I thought this was ironic because uh, over at uh, In Country, a non-podcast hosted by Tom Henrys, he was talking recently about a, a Tang uh, advertisement inside the book as well, and I caught that. and I don't know if it's as obnoxious as this one, but this one is pretty damn obnoxious. And then a few pages long, we get another two page splash for a extreme kayaker who gets most of its energy from having a healthy breakfast of frosted flakes. Yes, nothing says healthy and health-conscious like sugar-coated flakes of cornmeal. Delicious. A few more pages in, we get to get away from it all, visit breathtaking Metropolis and thrilling Gotham City every month. It's the house ad for the DC subscription, and... It's got a lot of the major players there. In fact, it's got uh, Captain Marvel, uh, or, yeah, Captain Marvel pretty front and center, which is nice, because uh, Power Shazam was going really well. Plus, it's got uh, Steel and the uh, leather-jacketed Superboy flying through there, and the Tim Drake Robin, so neat little uh, uh, advertisement for the uh, subscription page. The back inside cover has an advertisement for the Legends of the Dark Knight Premium Collector Series figures with... One of them being a seven-inch figure of the Scarecrow, and then a a six-and-a-half-inch figure of, uh, ugh, creepy-looking Batman with weird, terrifying bat wings with claws coming out of them, so DC and Kenner are bringing you Batman figures, and uh, I think there's some Kelly Jones Batman art there, because he's got the incredibly pointy ears. Never liked those pointy ears. But then finally, the back outside cover is an advertisement for Coca-Cola, and it's it's kind of along the style of that sort of Jack Davies, or not Davies, Jack Davis, Mad Magazine type look. If you've seen, if you've seen anything from Mad Magazine from the seventies, or seen, uh, what I think, the poster for the Bad News Bears, or it's a Mad, Mad 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 World. It looks like that kind of art style, but I don't think it's him. It's very nineties. It's a bunch of kids playing street hockey with rollerblades and one kid has his shorts with uh the uh I guess they're cargo shorts with a numerous bunch of pockets with uh Coca-Cola sticking out of all out of all of them. So check this. Always Coca-Cola. More sugary goodness. But that does it for ads. I'm gonna go take a quick break, maybe go get a drink of uh Coca Cola or maybe some delicious Redus coffee. Mm, coffee. And as soon as I get back from that, we're going to dive right into issue number two of Showcase 96.
2: My name is Steve Lacey, diver podcaster. Randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me. Help me. Listen, please. Is there anybody out there who can hear me? being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer, I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is The 20 Minute Longbox. The 20 Minute Longbox is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com, the show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com, or search for 20 minute long box on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random.
3: It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true Golden Age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also, home to the Quarterbin podcast and the Short Box Showcase.
0: And we're back to take a look at the second book in the show today, Showcase 96, number two. It was cover dated February 1996 and released on December 19, 1995. It had a cover price of 295 US and 425 Canada. The story we're looking at with deals with Steele and Guy Gardner and was titled Good Guy, Bad Guy, and Other Guys writer was Bo Smith, the penciler was Sergio Cariello, anchor Rob Lee, colorist Dave Graff, ca- letterer Ken Brusniak, associate editor Chris Duffini, and editor Frank Pitteries. Guy and Steele fight Sledge and Joe, quote unquote, the enforcer Gardner in the manliest manner possible over various locales, including Guy's mother's home and an abandoned amusement park. In the end, our heroes dispatch the desperately duo and finish off the story, hurling manly insults back and forth. The end. Yeah, there's really not much here other than some knockdown, dragout, brawling between the four characters in the world. The art is suitably 90s, and the dialogue is very much Beau Smith, so if you aren't in the mood for either of those, then this story won't be for you. I did figure this issue would, would have been a huge brawl, but I wish I could have gotten a little bit more of the character development between Guy and Steel. But since the nature of this book is to tell short, done-in-one stories, I, you really shouldn't expect growth of in character interaction that we saw in the Guy Carter book. Still, it scratched that Bowsmith Smith itch that I get every so often. But despite it being pretty thin on the content portion of the book, I do have a few notes to cover on it. Uh, specifically, talking about the cover, uh, Howard Porter and Chip Wallace are doing art chores on here, and well, it's not that great. I mean, Porter would go on to do a lot better work in the Morrison JLA book. Maybe it's Wallace's inking because the outlines around the characters look really thick. Uh, there's a lot of detail in Steel and Guy on the uh, front cover, but. They just look a bit too. They look a bit too nineties, if that makes any sense. Plus, uh, the uh, things that they're fighting really aren't in the book. It looks like a bunch of the alien inner mouth things coming at him. It's kind of weird, but eh, uh, it's a nineties cover. Page six. I usually praise a Bo Smith for a storytelling, but this, this one bit of dialogue from Guy Gardner could be taken a little out of context, as uh, Steel smashes Joe with his uh, hammer and Guy dodges a tree being thrown by Sledge, uh, Guy says to Steel, "Ha, huh, you better wake up from that dream before it gets messy, stud. Hmm. I don't want to know what kind of dream he was having and why Guy is calling Steel a stud. There are far too many slash fix things running through my head right now. Page 9, they decide to take the fight away from a suburban area where Guy's mom's house is to an abandoned music part, which I guess there's tons of them uh, surrounding the Baltimore area. If anyone can confirm or deny that, please let me know. Then, of course, on page 10, they take Sledge and Joe down by knocking down the roller coaster they are porched on, like that old Popeye cartoon, which both Guy and Steele know about. It's just obvious here that Smith is writing this just to have fun. There's no real depth to it. There's no real character development. It's just a good, fun, action-filled brawl, and... Every once in a while, that's kind of nice. And speaking of Popeye sort of shenanigans going on, here on page 16, panel 2, we get Guy actually doing a sort of Popeye punching bag gag on Sledge's face. If you remember the Popeye movie where he was using, where he's fighting the boxer and he was kind of using the punching bag where he's spinning his arms around, punching the guy in his face, and his head's bopping back and forth like a punching bag, you get the idea. And then my final note is on page 18. I I like that the artwork had some continuity throughout. It is very 90s artwork again, but they could have really overlooked this one simple thing that uh, throughout the entire book, Guy's right pant leg was torn, and they keep that until the very end. So I'm glad that uh, Cariello had uh, at least the wherewithal to make sure that he kept continuity in the book because It would have been something that was easily overlooked and could have been just forgotten about. But I'm certain with a lesser 90s artist, it would have been. But I guess there's something to take away from it. Like I said, if you're looking for just a big old punch-em-up brawl with a bunch of splash pages of two guys going after two villains, this book is for you. If you're looking for depth and character development, probably not. But a fun issue, and it's always good to cover stuff from Bo Smith. But unfortunately, that does it for this issue. That does it for this episode. I'm going to be coming back next week with, of course, a new issue of Green Lantern. Well, not a new issue, but the next issue of Green Lantern, number 87, where Kyle heads out to L.A. to say his final farewells to his unfortunately dead girlfriend, Alex, and meet up with his long estranged mother and he's bringing donna along for the trip so it'll be fun plus i'm also going to start in covering with the uh, greenland quarterly books and because a certain character of jack t chance is coming along for the ride in the first green land quarterly i'm going to bring along a certain guest host that i love to have on to talk about how awesome the character of jack t chance is so Next week, a guest host to help us out with the beginning of the coverage of Green Lantern Quarterly. Looking forward to that. But until then, I hope everyone has a great weekend. We'll catch you all around on the next episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted to their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the tendencies of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at 2 truefreakscom There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes, just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast, or search for 2 True Freaks, the Numeral 2. And you can subscribe to either the show or Two True Freaks there. You can also search me on Facebook. And now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonsacore contract. But it still doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Mafia Awards group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Gods, a Green Podcast. The opening music for today's show was the Shiny Toy Guns, and their song, or their cover of the song, Major Tom. If you'd like to buy this song, or if you'd like to buy the album Major Tom, which Shiny Toy Guns put out, the best place to go get it would be Amazon.com. And the best way to get to Amazon.com is to go through the link at 2TrueFreaks.com. If you go through the link at 2TrueFreaks.com, click up on the left-hand corner of the page when you get to 2TrueFreaks, It'll take you to Amazon where you can buy the album or buy the song from Shiny Toy Guns or buy a myriad other things like electronics, clothing, TVs, MP3 players, pretty much anything your little heart could desire, and all for great prices. Plus, when you use the link at 2 a small amount of money that you use for your purchase at Amazon.com goes back to the 2 True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, and it really helps us out. So if you ever feel like buying anything online, buy it through Amazon.com, and specifically buy it through the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com.